Hey folks, Joni here. If you've been keeping up with music news, you probably know a few things. Vinyl records have seen a resurgence in popularity. The past year's lockdown has encouraged even more interest in turntables. And given pandemic-related shortages and delays, it's going to be a little tricky to get your absolute favorite record this year. But don't you worry. Your friendly neighborhood record store is there to help you out with your holiday shopping. Back in 2018, we sat down with Scott Wishart, the owner of Lunchbox Records here in Charlotte, and we thought now would be a good time to revisit that conversation and his opinion on this so-called record renaissance. So I hope you enjoy today's conversation, and I hope you stay safe and stay inspired. What originally was mostly just punk and metal vinyl was grown to where now all kinds of regular people buy vinyl, which was not even something I could have imagined at the time when I opened the store. I'm Joni Deutsch, and from WFAE in Charlotte, this is Amplifier, the music podcast where we shine a light on the artist who calls Charlotte home. Because Charlotte is more than just a banking city or a football city. So every other Thursday on this podcast, we're going to explore the people, places, and things that help define the Queen City's crown sound. And today, we'll hear from a record store owner who's been keeping Charlotte turntables spinning for more than a decade. And that's coming up on Amplifier. Amplifier. And then the beat will drop. Amplifier. 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 Can you introduce yourself and what you do in Charlotte? My name is Scott Wishart. I own Lunchbox Records in uh, Plaza Midwood area on Central Avenue. Um, I also play in a band called Late Bloomer. Uh, I think those are the main two things I do. You are the owner of Lunchbox Records, and it's arguably one of the most recognized record stores in the Charlotte area. Um, Not just because it's painted a very bright blue color, it's very easily seen, um, but also because of Lunchbox's impact in the music community between hosting in-store performances, uh, selling music from local acts, and you sell tickets for Charlotte venues like the Neighborhood Theater and the Milestone I mean, Lunchbox has been around since 2005, and it's done so much. But I want to know, how did Lunchbox Records begin? Well, originally, Lunchbox Records was a label that started in uh, 1989, 1990. There were some people in Atlanta that put out a compilation of a bunch of Atlanta punk bands. And it was kind of a collective... Uh, through a few people, and then my brother got involved, and through a series of change of hands and whatnot, he eventually became the sole person that was doing the label. And I would help him with doing ads and uh, graphics and stuff. So when it came time for me to start the store, I was just like, well, what should I call it? And I was like, well, I'll just call it Lunchbox, and I asked him, and he's like, yeah, that's cool. And so I took over the name, and I resurrected the label, too. We put out records sometimes. So, you know, I was working at another store 
in town. In Charlotte. In Charlotte. But I had worked at uh, that store for like eight years, and eventually they changed hands. I didn't get along with the new owners. It's time to make a move. So I opened my own store in 2005, uh, and uh, that was it. And, you know, first few years worked seven days a week by myself for probably like the first three years. I think the longest I ever went without a day off was like 189 days or something like that. Wow. Yeah. The perils of having an independently owned record store, I guess. Yeah, that's one of those things that, you know, they don't really tell you about being self-employed. It, I mean, you know, I could could have just been closed every Monday or something too, but at a certain point, what else was I going to do? And then it got to the point once, once I had a day off, I didn't know what to do on the day off. I was like, what do I do now? I, 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 I got to work. Why was it important for you to establish Lunchbox in Charlotte, beyond the fact that you were branching out from where you're originally Beyond working? the fact I already lived here. Yeah, beyond that too. Well, you know, at the time it's like, well, I could have moved somewhere else and done it, but I felt like there was more of a need here. And the store that I worked at, they just weren't focusing on the things that I thought needed focus on, one of which was vinyl. Not that I'm some kind of visionary in the vinyl resurgence. It's just the fact that most of the things that I like to buy only came out of vinyl. That's so I'm like, well, I'm working in the store that's really huge, and I'm having a special order or order from other people all this stuff, which is ridiculous. Yeah, but they wouldn't. They're like, oh, we don't buy from this vendor. We don't want this, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, eventually it got to the point where it's just... We didn't get along. So I was like, well, I'm going to start a store that's, you know, more focused on what me and my friends want. And, you know, if I do it for a couple of years and it doesn't happen, you know, whatever. At least I tried it. I'll just go back to school or get a job. But luckily for me, it's turned out great. Every year it's gotten better. What originally was mostly just, you know, a lot of, like, punk and metal vinyl has grown to where now... All kinds of regular people buy vinyl, which was not even something I could have imagined at the time when I opened the store that I would ever be able to sell, you know, like Taylor Swift records. You know, they didn't even make them then. And it's just like the idea in 2005 of someone buying something like that was pretty ridiculous. Well, I was reading a report and uh, Nielsen, which is a, a big kind of study survey company um, for media, they said that in 2017, it reported 14 million LPs were sold in the United States, which was up more than 1,000% from 10 years prior, which was around the time that Lunchbox Records really kicked off. Um, so we're witnessing like a 100-year-old technology of a record coming back from near extinction. And granted, it's not still as widely as popular as a CD or even getting too close to the streaming numbers for Spotify. But it's um, it's reassuring that people are interested in buying physical music again. And, and based off what you've seen, Scott, and heard, being a owner of Lunchbox, like who should we thank for that resurgence? Is it the record labels? Is it record stores like yourself? Is it <clears throat> listeners who just need a tangible connection to music? All of the above. Um, you know, there's the 
tangible connection thing where it's like I think it's a reaction to streaming and digital downloads where like people want to have a physical emotional connection to something and own something. There was a time when people would go on tour. It was a very short lived thing when they sell those drop card things. And it's like nobody wants that. Like, oh look look at my Rolodex of drop cards. Like, yeah, it's just it's awful. And a drop card was just what, like a it was it was the card that just had a download code on yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It was you know, it served it's basically its a business card. But but ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. You know, obviously things have grown a lot since then. But I will say one of the things I think that really helped uh bring vinyl back in the spotlight was the record store day event which um people love and hate it you know but they have done something that really no one else was able to do where they turned around an industry and you know the first we've done it every single year that they've had it for people that don't know what record store day is it happens twice a year technically you have the one that occurs in april yeah. and that is the one where independently owned record stores across the nation can opt into this day. Um, Lunchbox is one of those record stores. And uh, it, it's, a, it's a day where they really want to encourage music fans to come out to these local shops and um, enjoy limited edition releases from labels. And these things could be kitschy, they could be campy, but they also are like rare releases that I mean, they, they're numbered. Like, there's maybe one per shop you can find, and you have to reserve them in advance. Yeah. The the way it works is, you know, they put out this release, and then, you know, you have to order them. And there's generally way more orders than there are available product. Of course, because if it's Pink Floyd or Stranger Things or anything yeah, else, they, you, you, you want know, it. They put out, like, last year, I think, like, 8,000 copies of a Pink Floyd record. But there's, like, over... I don't know the exact number, but over like 500 stores have participated in this at this point. And they're all independently owned stores. No chains or uh, online places are allowed to order them. So if you got 500 stores and, you know, it's Pink Floyd, they all want a bunch of copies. So they take all the orders and they allocate them. So, you know, you might order 30 copies of something and get two, or you might get all 30, depending on what it is. It's, uh, you know, Frustrating system, but I, you know, if it was a first come first serve kind of thing, it would be even more frustrating because there would definitely be stores that would just buy every copy, and then if they didn't sell them, they would you know put them online or something. Yeah. So it works, but it is to focus on independently owned record stores. And we said there's one record store day, the official one, which is April, yeah. and then there's the unofficial official one, well, which is the, the black. Friday, Black Friday record, store, record day. store day. There's less stuff in uh, the Black Friday day than there is in April. April one is w- way bigger, um, but they're both pretty crazy. In this Black Friday, there's uh, some pretty ridiculous stuff. Um, but it's the same concept as you know, a bunch of limited releases come out, and they're only available in stores. And it's, you know, first come, first serve thing. We instituted a policy years ago where it's one per title, per customer, to be fair, because one year we did it and, you know, somebody comes in and tries to buy everything and then they put it all on eBay. Then all the other people in line are mad at me. Yeah. People still get mad at me because they can't buy one for their buddy in Chicago who doesn't have a store next to him, which is ridiculous because there's like 15 stores in Chicago that do it. 
but you know that's always a line people say but you know i always say well tell that to all the people in line behind you you know we try and be as as fair as possible as we can with it but the other way i look at this day it's the pretend the internet didn't exist day where uh you you are kind of forced to leave your house and go support a local business it just makes people realize there are things in their neighborhood and you know it's one of the things like man if every day was like this day i would you know to have a bunch more stores right now but you know the reality is lots of people buy stuff online because they're busy and have it shipped to their house and et cetera, et cetera. I mean, why does Record Store Day matter to Lunchbox? Why do you do it every year since it began almost a decade ago? Um, we originally started doing it just because, like, you know, hey, this is something cool and different to do. And at that time, there weren't really a lot of vinyl releases anyway. It was much easier to uh, decide what to stock back then because there weren't, weren't that many choices. Um, but mainly, you know, it it's a promotional tool and it also helps people that otherwise wouldn't know about our store know about it and come in and see like, oh, wait, they have all this other stuff here too, used in new records and turntables and, uh, you know, we sell needles and cartridges and tapes and all that stuff. And somebody might come in and be like, oh, I didn't realize I had all that stuff. I've been ordering all this stuff online you know i could just come here and buy this things like that um financially it mostly works out uh sometimes i don't really try and crunch the numbers because i'm afraid to because it's i mean we make money on every time how much money we make i don't really know might turn out as a wash uh you know you do get stuck with stuff it is what it is but uh in order to do that, I generally have to uh, take a bunch of money out of my personal savings to pay for all this stuff for Record Store Day because it's so much stuff. Um, so it's it's very stressful when, you know, I don't have a lot of money, <laughs> but the money I have, I, I can't ever really use because I have to save it for Record Store Day. So I have to draw all this money out so I can pay for all that stuff. Even at this point where I do have like um, payment terms with major labels, which has taken me like 10 years for that to happen. Even then they only give you so much credit limit and generally this stuff goes over their credit limit. So I still have to send them like prepayment money. Um, so it's, it's quite stressful and you're always like, man, I hope somebody shows up because otherwise... I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to be broke. But it's generally always worked out. Yeah, if you look at photos from record store days at Lunchbox, you see a line of people. In fact, I have friends in West Virginia who will come down to Charlotte, not because there aren't record stores in Charleston, West Virginia, but because they, they know that Lunchbox does a great job with record store day. Well, that, that's that's the hope that, you know, we, we do a good job. Um, generally, it works out, but it's... I don't know, it's just like a self-doubting, antagonistical thing where you're just like, man, I just hope I didn't screw myself. Did I order too much of this, not enough of this? Which is another thing they don't tell you about being self-employed is that uh, the constant emotional ups and downs where you have a great day, you're like, man, this is awesome. I'm so smart. I, I did this great. 
right? Then, you know, two days later, like, no one comes in. You're like, what did I do wrong? What? How can I fix this? Oh, my gosh. I'm going to have to close, you know. Which I imagine is the same with any self-employed person, you know. If you're working freelance and, you know, it's feast or famine. I do know that it is a stressful time for all of us, but, you know, it's also a thing that always works out. You know, it's like getting ready for SATs or something. If you're prepared, it'll go well, but that doesn't stop you from freaking out. Not that I can remember taking the SATs. When does my reckoning come? In addition to being the owner of Lunchbox Records, Scott Wishart is also part of the Charlotte rock band Late Bloomer, who performed this song titled Complacency. Complacency, you're back from me, but you weren't there when the shells fell around me. Coming up, Scott weighs in on that old music argument of streaming versus physical and why it matters. That's right after this break on Amplifier. What makes an independent record store so special? Why is it so meaningful for you to have one here in Charlotte? To me, it's to support the tiny and small artists that don't really have a focus at any anywhere else, including local artists. Like, you know, if you go to, well, I don't guess Best Buy doesn't even sell CDs anymore. You know, if you go to, Barnes and Noble. Barnes and Noble or yeah. Target or whatever. They're not carrying local stuff. Uh, if it's not something that was just released or is over a certain threshold, they're not going to stock it. You know, I grew up in a mostly punk community. So the stuff that I was interested in, um, they just didn't have at those kind of places. So I always went to smaller stores that sold what I wanted. Granted, you can buy and find anything on the internet uh, but it's nice to go into a place and stumble upon things which even with internet algorithms is pretty hard to do where you just like stumble across stuff like oh man I didn't know about this or I forgot about this or I've been looking for this and you know we also have bands play in the store as well which is something we started pretty much as soon as the store opened with the purpose of other than at the time, Tremont, there was no other all-ages venue in town. And to me, that's, you know, I'm 43, so obviously I can get in anywhere. But when I was growing up, there was, you know, I got into music really young. I played my first show when I was 14. There was so many shows I couldn't see of my favorite bands because I wasn't old enough and they only played bars. And my... Focus is to not forget that, you know, like when I was a kid, Agent Orange was my favorite band. I've seen them plenty of times since, but I missed them like five times because I couldn't see them because they only played 21 and up bars. Um, you know, I missed like Shellac playing at the Claremont Lounge in Atlanta because I wasn't 21, things like that. So, you know, I want young people to enjoy music and be able to see live music. So we started having bands play in the store uh, to do that. There's no drinking because 
I'm not trying to create more drama for myself. You know, also, I want people and their parents to, to understand, like, if they drop their kids off at this show, they're just there to have fun and there's no shady shit going on. You know, it's not like dropping them off at a house party or something. But, you know, so we started doing that. At this point, I don't know, I kind of stopped keeping track, but it's probably like four or 500 bands have played at the store at this point. It's not like a regular, like every Friday or Saturday thing. You know, we have a lot of touring bands. We've had a lot of bands that are bigger bands or became bigger bands later, like, you know, like Gaslight Anthem played our store before. Um, you had Casey Musgraves come in, was it 2016 for the record store day then? Yeah, we had Casey Musgraves play. We've had Capozzi's, Taking Back Sunday. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even just recently, um, it was in October, you had uh, North Carolina Axe, His Golden Messenger, and Flock of Dimes come in. Yeah, and Super Chunk. And Super Chunk, yeah, from Merge Records. There's, I've been trying, I've been bugging Super Chunk to play the store forever. But yeah, so we've had all kinds of bands play at the store. Most of them are small bands, small touring bands or local bands, but yeah, sometimes we look out and get big ones. But I enjoy both, but uh, you know, my focus will probably always be on the smaller ones because those are bands that like can't get a show somewhere else or they specifically want to play an all-ages show and the only all of their all-ages venues, which would be Neighborhood Theater and Fillmore are just too big. You know, like you have to be at a certain level to play that. And if you're a small band that wants to play that, then you don't have a lot of choices other than like, you know, house shows or my store or, you know, sometimes there's other like little pop up kind of venues. A lot of the bands that submitted their work to Amplifier for consideration for the series, they mentioned in their application, their submission form, that they were so thankful for Lunchbox being around, either carrying their music or allowing them to have an album release party or playing at Lunchbox for a show. Um, so obviously, uh, a part of the heart of the Charlotte music scene is in Lunchbox Records, in the Lunchbox. It's in the Lunchbox. <laughs> Sorry, that was stupid. Anyways, for local acts that want to get their music carried in Lunchbox Records, what should they know? Um, as long as it's professionally packaged, meaning like not a CDR with a Sharpie written on it, you can just bring it in and fill out a little form and that's it. Yeah, it doesn't have to have barcode. You don't have to jump through a bunch of hoops. It's just, we'll carry your record. Um, and that's it. That's all they need to do. They bring it, it, whatever genre it is, however, if they're young or old, they've been in the scene or for a long time or not. I will say, um, whether or not it sells is a whole other story. There are a lot of people that bring in records and then we'll be like, well, what are you playing next? And like, oh, well, uh, we haven't played any shows or, oh, we're, we're playing uh, one show in December. And then, you know, I'm like, well, we'll take it, but. If you're not playing shows, your stuff's not going to sell. Like, you can't just put stuff on Bandcamp and think, like, poof, it's, it's magically Millions. Gonna, it's magically going to happen. Like, yeah, your friends that you know will buy it, but you'll be, it maybe. And, but you'll be stuck in that bubble. And the idea is to, with any band, is to be outside of the bubble. Um, as me and my band 
sometimes we play shows, and I'm like, man, I don't know any of these people here. But to me, in a weird way, you know, you want your friends to be there because, you know, you got people to talk to and like, oh, my friends like me. But in a way, that's almost a better show because, like, I know I've reached outside of something if all these people I don't know are here to see my band. Um, so if you are a local band, just you got to play shows. And, you know, if you play a show, you got to promote that show. And not just, you know, on Facebook. Because, again, you're stuck in that bubble of only your friends are going to see it. What encouragement would you give to an artist, especially an independent artist, who really likes vinyl? You know, they, they love records, but they might not have the resources right now to be able to produce one, to bring it to Lunchbox, for it to be sold there. I mean, records cost a lot, and you can easily make a bunch of records, not sell very many, and have a whole closet full of records. Done it myself. Um, you can still make CDs. CDs are it's cool, but uh, people buy them, and if they want to support you, you know, they can still buy a shirt or a CD, and it gives your music out there. There's always Bandcamp. Um, it, it is cheap to make uh, cassettes. Uh, not everyone has a cassette player, but it gives you... Uh, physical media put out there and you can put like a download in it there's not there the upfront costs involved in producing records aren't really there for like cassettes or even as much with cds you have to get a master but the, the biggest cost in records is the upfront cost of producing the plates and parts to stamp the records and then each end of like you know, each individual record doesn't cost that much, you know, like like a buck or two. But the problem is you got to spend like thousands of dollars to build all the parts to make each of those records that are only cost a buck or two. And that's where, you know, that's why if you only make 300 records, your cost is really more out of whack than if you make a thousand records. But if you make a thousand records, you know, takes a lot to sell a thousand records these days yeah one because there's just so much more stuff out there and as far as choices and two because you know a lot more people download or stream or whatever um are you a fan of streaming you work in a store that sells physicals what are your thoughts on streaming and, and digital it serves its purpose I do not subscribe to any streaming services. Um, my, I don't know, I'm going to still sound like a crazy person, but as far as digital stuff, I have bought downloads, but as far as like uh, doing the whole streaming thing, uh, I don't have faith in streaming services to continually provide the content that I need and it always be there, despite what they promise. For multiple reasons. One of the reasons is that, so if you're a really small band and you want your stuff to be on iTunes or Apple Music or whatever, you have to pay for that stuff to be on there. They don't just put it up there and keep it up there forever for free. They're making money off that too. So if at a certain point I decide, hey, I only made 13 cents off this record last year. Why would I pay $50 to keep it up per year or whatever it costs? It 
depends on the service. It's just going to go away. Whereas if I bought the download or bought the record, I still have it. And that has happened to me before. That is reality. And, you know, even with, like, a larger artist, you're like, oh, well, you know, like, this specials record or whatever, it's never going to go away. But at some point, their contract runs out or they buy out their contract or they get in a pissing match with their label about, you know, like, we want to reissue this or whatever. They just take that shit down. And then you got nothing to listen to. And so the streaming service is like, you know, it's a subscription service because they want you locked in like a cable company where you're just dependent on it constantly. And if it goes away or if you get out of it, you don't have any other choice because like if you stopped your streaming service and that's all you ever relied on, you don't have anything else. What are you going to do? I personally don't like to be beholden to someone in that way. I prefer to pay for something and have it. What's the future of the Charlotte music scene in your eyes, in yours? I think it's continuing to grow. Um, hopefully, you know, as you know, more people move in, they will discover, because there's so many people moving in constantly, they will discover that there's good bands here and artists and venues and go out and visit those, um, not just the, the, big, the big shows. You know, I grew up in Atlanta, which now is like, oh, man, you, know, you got to play Atlanta, blah, 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 blah. But when I lived there, when I was in high school, it wasn't really like that. Um, so many of the bands I wanted to see when I was a kid, they would skip over Atlanta and go to Athens because Athens was cooler, which I totally disagree with. But, you know, so I kind of feel, you know, this won't be the first or last time that Charlotte's been compared to Atlanta. But it's kind of like the way the same thing happens with, like, Asheville and Raleigh, Chapel Hills. Like, people pass over Charlotte, even though it's a bigger city, because those places are cooler. Whether or not that's true. Um, so, you know, that's something we got to overcome. But I, I feel like it's happening more and more. Where, um, with places like the Fillmore, you know, I've seen some shows there. A lot of stuff there, I don't know what it is, you know, or don't care to see it. But there's no denying that it's brought a lot more focus to Charlotte and a lot of bigger bands that come there. And it's sort of a trickle-down effect where if, you know, they say, hey, you know, Interpol played there, or you know, Spoon played in Charlotte. Then, then it gets more on the radar of a different booking manager or a band, and they're like, "Oh, well, maybe we should go there too." So, it all helps. So, hopefully, things just continue to grow and people go out and support music, and that's the big thing: is uh, leave your house, go out, get off the internet, and go get a record. And go get a record. Scott Wishart is the owner of Lunchbox Records, which can be found in Plaza Midwood in Charlotte and online at lunchboxrecords.blogspot.com. Amplifier is a production of WFAE. 
This episode was written and produced by me, Joni Deutsch. Our associate producer is Cole Del Charco. Our editors are Greg Collard and Jadon Marshall. Our theme music is provided by Dirty Art Club. Share your favorite Charlotte music recommendations with me on social media. You can tag and follow me. I'm at a change of tune. Amplifier features a new musical episode every other Thursday. So make sure to subscribe to the Amplifier podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you find podcasts. And if you're listening on NPR One, make sure to give us a heart or a favorite. Check out the playlist and show notes for today's episode, along with a Charlotte music map and a way for you to submit your music on our website, wfae.org slash amplifier. Until next time, I'm Joni Deutsch. Thanks for listening.